I'd love to title this Jonah, Jonah, Jonah. But um, anyway, we'll read from Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it to the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was, sorry, now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But, Jonah, Jonah, Jonah. But to Jonah this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? morning nice to uh, nice to see you in person uh let's pray heavenly father we are so uh, we're grateful that you in your grace you've given us your word together that we can hear this morning and as we look at jonah help us to hear just what we need to hear so that we'll be encouraged in our relationship with you and that we'll be motivated to go out from here and display your grace to the world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, let me ask you a question. Can you think of a time when you've been given a second chance? Uh, I kind of just wanted to, well, I was thinking about times when I've been given a second chance, and one that came to mind just came with a, cute, with a photo with some cute kids in it. So um, one of my favourite seasons of soccer was, um, was when I was playing about six years ago, and... Uh, my team won the grand final that year. Um, oh, I was going to show you a photo, but anyway, maybe a bit later. Uh, but having been minor premiers, we then lost in the first week of the final. But the competition being what it was, we got the second chance to play them a few weeks later. And, uh, you know, it was, it was such good fun because I was playing with a bunch of friends from church, I think. And we were analysing the game and going through the tactics in church after the sermon and all that um, the next couple of weeks. 
And in the end, we won that grand final 3-0, and it's one of my favourite seasons. I've won other grand finals, but I think just having that opportunity within the competition to have a second chance and to go and win it uh, just made it all the, all the more sweet. Now, how, how have you reacted to being given a, se a second chance? Maybe a teacher or a lecturer has given you a second chance on an assignment or a test or even a whole subject. They used to have... Uh, I used to have, if you got about 45%, I think you got the second chance. Thankfully, that never happened to me. I either failed spectacularly or got through. But anyway, <laughs> I never got that second chance. Maybe you had a chance to fix something up at work or perhaps even to mend a relationship. There's been a relationship you can think of where there's been a second chance to make that relationship work. Well, often, we don't deserve that second chance. And having that second chance just makes it even sweeter. And that's a situation we see in Jonah chapter 3, verses 1, uh, verses one to chapter 4, verse 4. There we go, there's my, my uh, grand final photo with, uh, with the trophy there with young Annabelle. She's changed a bit. Today is a story, though, of, getting, uh, of Jonah and the Ninevites, both receiving a second chance from God. And we notice a great contrast in the way that they respond to God's grace. What did you see there in the contrast? Did you notice it? Make no mistake, the book of Jonah is not primarily a story about Jonah or the Ninevites. It's not primarily a story about a fish. As we read through it and take it in and understand, it's, it's really at heart a story about God's mercy it's really at heart a story about the grace of God. And this morning we see that God is the God who graciously gives second chances. And there's a huge difference in the way that Jonah and Nineveh respond to that grace. Now the, the second chance comes in an unexpected way. Nineveh, the great power, the, the enemy of God's people, they were like the, the, the greatest military threat to them on their northern border. Uh, they show what it looks like to repent. Whereas the, the prophet of God, Jonah, somebody who lived in Israel amongst God's people, was a spokesperson for God, shows us just how not to respond to God's grace. So what if you know that you've, you've mucked something up? And, and specifically, if you've mucked something up with God, what are we going to see today about how we can respond to God's grace? What if you're feeling ashamed or guilty about something, something that's been mucked up in your life. Well, second chance. Gracious character and see how to respond to his offer of a second chance. Of course, the story uh, that we're reading this morning is only a part of the story. And uh, the section we read, it, it is that second chance. It's, the, it's like the second half of the book almost. There's been four sort of uh, scenes or um, four sort of parts that we've seen. The first part was where um, God tells Jonah to go and preach at Nineveh, and he just go, he bolts the other way, goes completely the other way, disobeys. The set, then he gets, um, as he disobeys, some sailors actually, they seem to listen to God and show repentance, and God saves Jonah even though they throw him off the side of the the, the boat. He's saved by that fish. So the second part is that prayer that he utters in the belly of the fish. Now, he's really pleased about being saved by God at that point. And then the third part of the story is this take two, this second chance for Jonah. 
God gives Jonah a second chance to obey him. And this time, Jonah obeys and goes to the pagan, ungodly city of Nineveh, known for its evil and violence. And how do they respond? They repent. And we heard at the end of the reading, how does Jonah respond when he sees their repentance and he sees that God relents from the destruction he had threatened? He's furious. He's angry. So throughout this story, God's grace is on display again and again. Jonah gets a second chance to obey and be a part of God's work in the world. He could have chosen someone else. God could have punished Jonah for disobeying him. But in his grace, he gives him a second chance to go and be a part of his plan. Now that speaks to the character of God. It speaks to the way that he wants to treat even each one of us. The consistent message of the Bible is that all people everywhere at all times muck up before God in some way. Each one of us has disobeyed God. Each one of us has done or said things that have been harmful to relationships, to our world, to ourselves. And we've all had moments in our lives where we've messed up and God allows us to come back to him and to receive his forgiveness and to have that second chance, as it were, to live in a way that he wants us to live. He allows us to come back to him and to receive his forgiveness. Now, if something comes to mind, something that you feel guilty about or feeling like you want to hide from God, then be assured this morning that God allows you to go to him, to be forgiven and to be released to live for him today if you will go to him and you will confess that. So, so the Lord tells Jonah a second time to go to Nineveh and preach the message that he's got for him. So take note that it's the message of, that God has for him. He doesn't tell him at this point what the message is, or that's, that's how the wording is different to the start of chapter 1, where he does tell him that wording. And it's the message that it is God's. It's not just Jonah going and giving his opinion or some message that he's got. And, uh, well, after what happened last time, he's not going to run away. And so this time, uh, he's got to go. We're shown that Nineveh is so big, it takes three days to go and uh, go through the city and to get around and preach. And after the first day, he starts preaching that in 40 days, Nineveh will be overturned. Now notice, that's an opportunity for Nineveh to respond in some way. And what we know of God shows us that it's not God kind of mocking them. Oh, ha this is what I'm going to do to you in 40 days. There's an implied, like, do something about this, guys. You know, in 40 days, unless you change, this is what's going to happen. Now, it's a message of warning that the, the city will be overturned, turned upside down, overturned, like Sodom and Gomorrah, if you know that story from Genesis. But it also can have a different me- or another meaning. There can be a sort of a second meaning, and we'll see that in Nineveh's case, they will be overturned, but not actually in the same way as Sodom and Gomorrah. They're, they're, ter- they're overturned in the sense of being put on a different path, of being radically changed. And that's what God is offering for them, not to be destroyed, And surprisingly, Nineveh responds. In verse 5, it says they believed in God. Now, the text doesn't say this, but I have to to think, I have to believe that this is a work of the Holy Spirit. Given what we've seen of Jonah and his response um, later on, it's hard to imagine that his kind of powerful rhetoric was so persuasive that that's what led to this change, or that his, his attitude and the way of communicating was so winsome that they were won over by that. It seems that God in his grace has sent the power of the Spirit to take Jonah's words and to to move the people, to cut them to the heart so that they take this message 
and, and they're devastated by it. So you see, they fasted, the greatest to the least, even the animals apparently. Um, whether that's a slight exaggeration or they stopped feeding them somehow, I don't know. Um, but, but what is clear is that it's to show how strong the reaction of the city was. That just everything, the greatest to the least, were, were devastated by this news that they had grieved God and that they were going to repent. And uh, it, it's a total reaction. They put on sackcloth, rough, uncomfortable clothes uh, to show that they're sorry, to show that they're in mourning. And in verse 6, we see that the warning goes all the way to the king. And he's so convicted, he gets out his mourning clothes too and throws dust on himself. And he sends a decree throughout the city that everyone's got to repent, uh, everyone's got to do the same thing and pray that God would relent. And God sees their reaction. And as he sees their reaction, he relents from punishing them. This prophecy has the effect that God had intended for it. And we're reminded that God does have that intent for his words in Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 7 to 8. Uh, verse seven to eight. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. That's why God sends his word, so that those who rebel against him have that opportunity to turn back to him and find his forgiveness. Now, what about Jonah's reaction? You know, is he glad that the message got through? Is he relieved that these could have been thousands of people were going to be spared from terrible destruction? No. No, he's filthy angry with God for being so kind to them. He says that's why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. In fact, we finally find out why in chapter 1 he resisted going to Nineveh. It's because he knows what God's like. And he knew he was going to forgive. And so we finish today, or today's passage, the reading finished, by seeing God's response and God's question to Jonah. Does he have the right to be angry? And we'll see Jonah's reply and what lesson he learns uh, in two weeks' time when Chris picks up the rest of chapter 4. So we've seen God's grace in sending an undeserving Jonah back on mission, and we've seen God's grace in allowing undeserving Nineveh to repent and to find his forgiveness. And now we're going to see how then does this teach us to respond to God's grace? What does responding to God's grace look like? Well, firstly, let's look at the Ninevites. They are rightfully hopeful that God will show them compassion. And that's such a helpful picture for us to have of God and and, and for us to think about in our response to him. I don't know if you've ever thought like this. I think sometimes I have that you can kind of imagine that God forgives us kind of reluctantly as though, I I don't really like this, but I guess I'll forgive you. But, you know, like we have to twist his arm or manipulate him or something like that, as if it's something he doesn't want to do. But but that that word compassion shows us something of God's heart, of his emotion. It's 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 an emotional kind of a word. He has compassion on them. He he has deep sympathy for the people. He's grieved that they haven't been following him. And he doesn't want to to send that destruction. He wants people to turn to him and receive and experience his forgiveness. And he grieves for people who don't do that. He has that heart of compassion. And at the same time, how how do we respond to God's grace? Well, we see the king responding in 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 a completely humble way. He doesn't think God has a duty to forgive him. Oh, that's just who God is. He has to do this. 
And he doesn't think that he deserves to be forgiven. In fact, he knows that God doesn't, that God doesn't have to show him mercy. He certainly does, but he acknowledges that they have done the wrong thing by God and deserve punishment. And Nineveh responds to God by believing in him, trusting him. And they say, who knows, you know, perhaps he will relent. It's that trusting that whatever God does, he'll do the right thing, that he is right. And that they don't deserve his mercy. They throw themselves on his mercy, in fact. Now, that was an attitude that, uh, that, that we've seen prophets like Amos, that God wanted to see in Israel, but he frequently didn't. And I, I refer to Amos because he's probably around the same time as Jonah. And in the prophecy of Amos, you see time and again how disobedient Israel had been, following false gods, worshipping idols, having violence within the land and all these sorts of things. They'd started to take God's grace for granted as if they were God's people, they deserved that, they owned God, they manipulated him, they showed him how he should act toward them. But in fact, they were just as wicked as any other nation. And so while Jonah sort of self-righteously judges Nineveh, God is showing compassion on a nation that is just as undeserving as Israel. Israel were only God's, uh, God's people because of his grace and they should have responded like Nineveh, throwing themselves on his mercy, knowing they don't deserve a second chance, seeking God's compassion, humbling themselves and grieving over their sin. Now there's another indication that we know Nineveh really did repent, how to respond to God's grace. See at the end of verse 8, they commit to throwing off their evil ways and violence. If you truly repent, you see how grievous your sin is. You see your sin really, you know, it is bad. We don't want to, we don't want to sin anymore. We see sin from God's eyes. We see it's not how we're meant to live. It's not how we honour the God who made us. It's not ultimately pleasurable or good for us or good for others or our society as a whole. And if we truly repent, we begin to want to please God rather than ourselves and start breaking free from sins that have enslaved us. So as you reflect on Nineveh this morning, can you see an area of your life where you need to repent, gen demonstrate genuine repentance? Is it an opportunity to think through? Are you proudly holding on to something, on some bitterness or some ungodly character trait or some habit? Have you given up straining toward godliness? Well, take this opportunity to see that God's compassion is for you. He doesn't want to see you living like that. He doesn't want to see you living in rebellion against him. And he wants to bring that change to your life for his glory and for your greatest joy. So if you repent and turn to God, how will he respond? Well, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've said, what you've, uh, who you've been previously. He will forgive you and change you and make you his child. And that's how he responds to the Ninevites in his compassion. This, this evil and wicked, violent, it's called, city. Now we read in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 4 to 6, that God is the God who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. All people, everyone here, everyone we meet, 
everyone in our community and beyond has that opportunity to turn back to God and we're the people that can bring them that message. So as you hear his word and hear that opportunity for a second chance, for forgiveness, like the Ninevites, come to God, admit you don't, need, uh, you don't deserve a second chance, seek that compassion, ask for his forgiveness, and know that God wants to answer your prayer. Well, let's contrast Jonah's response now, uh, sorry, Nineveh's response to Jonah's response and see the difference, see how not to respond to God's grace, because that's what Jonah shows us as God's prophet. He shows us how not to respond to God's grace. This is where my soccer illustration, I guess, comes undone a little bit, because under the rules of that competition, we did deserve our second chance, but, uh, you know, we were top of the table and minor premiers and all those sorts of things, but Jonah did not deserve his second chance. What had he done to get the second chance to be on board on mission with God? Absolutely nothing. God could have completely abandoned him. He would have been well within his rights. We'd say, yep, that's fair, God. And so how about the irony you see here? Remember in chapter 2 how enthusiastically Jonah had thanked God in the belly of the fish and he'd used that exalted language to praise God and he was so excited that he'd been saved from the fish's belly? And this undeserving Jonah, who's been shown this grace, now looks at Nineveh and he sees God showing them that same mercy and he's got the gall to be angry with God. It's unbelievable. And we finally find out the reason that he ran from his mission, because he knew that God would forgive. And Jonah decides that unlike for him, it's just, it's, it's even says he decides, he makes the judgment that that's not right. He's judging God's actions. <laughs> this, this disobedient prophet. And he uses to, well, to use Jonah's own words from chapter 2, he doesn't like that that God answers the Ninevites in their distress, that he listens to their cry when they call for help, when he brought them his salvation. He liked, to, he, liked that, he liked that to be true of himself, but not others, especially not his enemies. Where the king of Nineveh had wanted to save the great people of that, or the, the, the vast number of people from that city, from dying, Jonah couldn't care less. You know, how about having that much contempt for people, that little compassion for people, that you'd prefer they die than be shown God's mercy? So how not to respond to God's grace with that kind of self-righteousness and even with self-pity? Because instead of grieving over his sin, what does he do? He feels sorry for himself. He grieves over himself. Instead of being grateful for God's grace, Jonah acts as if he deserves God's favour in a way that others don't, and he pouts like a little child. And we see that Jonah, I mean, this is the, uh, another extraordinary thing. He's got this knowledge about God. He quotes from Exodus chapter 34, in, in a way. He, he knows about God. His heart just obviously is not transformed by that. He doesn't have the character of God. He doesn't have the heart of God himself. Uh, in, in Exodus chapter 34, uh, God reveals himself to Moses as the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This is the language that Jonah knows about God, but it hasn't made a difference to his character at all. When Jonah sees that kind of character displayed to others, he doesn't like it. He wants justice, but he doesn't want mercy. He wants justice for others, even if he's shown grace. And why is that so offensive to him? Well, Maybe deep down he doesn't really believe he, he needs God's grace. Maybe deep down he has a self-righteous heart. He looks at himself, he thinks, I'm not like those Assyrians. 
I don't need their forgiveness the way they do. They just deserve judgment. I deserve to be loved by God. And of course, we see he just doesn't have a heart that's really after God's own heart, the God who has compassion even on his own enemies. Now again, he's so low in verse 8 that he wants to die. When his life is saved, he rejoices and now he wallows. He wallows in self-pity. Now God will challenge Jonah's right to be angry and as I said, we'll see that in two weeks' time when we pick up the rest of chapter 4. And perhaps, uh, look, it really does seem like a tantrum, doesn't it? And it seems outrageous and ridiculous. I was trying to kind of, um, can I empathise with Jonah? I think we can. Imagine if you're Jonah and you live in Israel and there's this powerful country to the north of you and to the south there's been Egypt. You know, you're sort of wedged between these two great powers and you're kind of, you're fearful. You fear being swept up in war. And we know that happens to Israel eventually. Assyria is known for its violence and its terrible oppression of the people that it conquers. It, it would have been hard for Jonah to have a positive view of Assyria, let's face it. I was imagining maybe for us it's a bit like when, we, when you watch the news and you see the terrible things the Taliban are doing in Afghanistan. What's, what's your heart response there? Well, right anger. I mean, it is right to be angry because it's so unjust. But imagine if, if they repented tomorrow and received God's forgiveness. And imagine we were kind of in proximity to them in relationship and suddenly they want to be brought into our church. You start to think that would hit home a little bit harder, wouldn't it? And that would reveal whether we really understand God's grace or whether we're self-righteous and think that there's people who don't deserve God's grace while we do. So let's consider that for a minute. Consider, do we understand, really understand how gracious God is and has been toward us when we've trusted in Jesus? See, we're no more deserving of God's grace than Jonah, than the Ninevites, than anyone else. Do we really understand the power of Jesus' death and resurrection? That it's only through him, through these acts, that God can forgive anyone. And he can forgive anyone, even the worst of sinners. Sadly, these days we're very good at creating distinctions and divisions and condemning others who aren't like us, who don't think like us. You see it on social media... You see it in the way that we interact in politics. Chris has alluded to it this morning as well. And it's totally out of step with God's character. We can be very self-righteous. We can be very good at wanting to feel superior to others, wanting to condemn others, look down on others, rather than praying for them and longing for God to show them, to show everyone mercy, as we see him in the book of Jonah here. So what do we see of God's character here? That he created all people, that he has a heart for all people, wherever they come from, wherever they've done. And that's the heart that God wants us to have for people, even our own enemies, as difficult as that might be. Well, the challenge for us this morning, I think, is as we leave uh, this hall, not just to go away having heard a little bit of content and caught up with friends, as good as those things are, but or even to fulfil a Christian duty, but to think through why we exist as a church. Why do we exist? We exist, we only exist as a church, we only exist as a people because of God's gracious character, bringing us to Jesus, bringing us together. It's only by his grace that any of us are forgiven, that any of us can be his people. Because of his grace and only because of his grace we're forgiven, we get to live for him. 
And we get to be a part of this people, equipping and encouraging each other to become faithful followers of Jesus. Why? Well, because that is something great to engage our world in, to engage God's world with the good news of his kingdom. It's a wonderful privilege for each of us to be involved in. This grace of God is good news to share with the whole world because no one deserves God's favour, yet in compassion, God wants everyone to turn back to him and find that favour. Think of times when God's shown you that he's given you a second chance. If you've put your trust in Jesus, you know you've experienced the power of God and his grace to transform you, to pick you up when you felt low, when you felt ashamed, when you felt guilty. If we follow Jesus, we know we've mucked up. How could that not? How could that not transform when we know his forgiveness the way that we view even our enemies? We're gonna <clears throat> sorry, I'm losing my voice there. We're gonna listen to a, a final song. <clears throat>